anybody there? Hey, I'm here. Are you there? I I am here. Hey, Carolyn, how are you? Hey. Oh, looks like we have Audrey here. Almost there. One sec. (laughs) Okay, no worries. No worries. Well, hey, good morning, uh, by the way. Good morning. <laughs> good morning. I really can't thank you guys enough for doing this so early in the morning. I'm, I think it's a little bit later where you are, but it's always appreciated because it's a Sunday and nobody should have to talk so much on a Sunday. Uh, but I'm very, very grateful for your time and for doing this. I well, appreciate it. We're, we're thrilled to be here. I've had, I've had just enough coffee to be dangerous. So. Oh, bless you. That's, <laughs> that's the best. I love it when my guests are like that caffeinated and ready to go go. so (laughs) can we take a moment to to share a couple of thoughts on how you folks got started how your creative journey began together and just provide a little bit of background on that so i was i was 14 years old living in the back of my mother's therapy practice on fairview avenue in montgomery alabama and she said i need you to occupy Carolyn's time because they're coming for therapy. And and so I said, I don't want to meet somebody new. You know, she's probably going to be really lame. And so, so I met Carolyn. Which as it turns out, I was. (laughs) Which which I was right. I was right. Um, She turned out to be at 14. I met this really cool woman who was like exciting and interesting and funny and uh, we hit it off immediately, and we've been friends ever since. Um, she and I went to the same high school together. We had an incredible drama teacher, Roberta Gamble, mm. who um, we still update. She's still around, and she believes in us so thoroughly, so fully, and we, we keep her apprised, and she's just so proud of us. And she, Roberta Gamble, really instilled in us this kind of get after it attitude and this instilled in us this idea of quality, substance over flash, how to really listen to your scene partner, how to find the truth. She always instilled in us this idea of, of researching um, for authenticity. Carolyn's mother is a librarian. Mm. And and just an incredible, beautiful curator of knowledge and detail. And Carolyn, I believe, has that in her sort of genetically is this idea of um, fact finding and getting to the truth of it. And in Southern storytelling, which she and I sort of traverse, this is sort of our specialty. um, There's always research to be done and always, you know, detail. we have to sort of suss out like, well, how do, how do we make it even more authentic? Mm. Um, I'm kind of all over the place here, but it, no, it's just, it's st- that started out as us wanting to be performers, which is the case for a lot of young artists is they, do, it's not like they have playwriting classes in small town, Alabama high school. Yeah. You know, you can learn how to be in a, you know, uh, work in the sound booth. You can learn how to be an actor. You might even be able to learn how to stage manage or direct a scene. And so she and I wanted to be performers and um, that's how it started out. And I think it's fascinating to me how I have turned into this sort of unwitting playwright and she has turned into this unwitting sort of dramaturg. <laughs> um, and um, so we, we've collaborated many times over the years. Um, and I think um, while we both still love performance, that will always be my first love. And I know it's Carolyn's first love we're sort of after something more more important mm. um, these days, which is a truthful sort of rendering of authentic stories about humanity and the human ache and suffering. Um, and how do we transcend that? W- what is what is the full toll of grief? How do how do people get so lost, mm. you know, um, in the world? And what is the full cost of leaving? You know, um, um, Carolyn, do you want to jump in there? Uh, well, I, just as far as kind of origin, uh, as Audrey started to explore, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Odd, but I, I think your your writing sort of began, if you will, or this this you know this kind of chapter began 
from you searching for characters coming from that performance aspect and searching for characters to play and searching for material that was meaningful. And so, right. uh, you know, and so there she came to me with uh, uh, Finn and Yuba, mm -hmm. and uh, which was the, the, the ba we call it the I call it the baby um, one act. And I was living in New York at the time and uh, came to me and said, hey, I want you to read this. And I'm thinking about submitting it. And uh, you had already submitted it and done it in a, a couple of like, like Maryland Festival, right? Yeah, we we I had I had had a little bit of history with it. Um, mm. I think you came in part way through that process, yeah. but your memory might be a little bit better than mine. But I think you're right about that. You and I had sort of lost touch a little bit because you went off to college and I moved to Maryland and we were sort of separate. But I I reached out to you and we hadn't talked in a while and I said, hey, I think you you can help me be a part of this. And that was the beginning really of our first collaboration was you know, working to make the play better. Mm. Um, but it, and getting, it, you know, and, yeah, and doing that, self, we self-produced uh, Finn and Yuba when we entered it into the Strawberry One Act Festival. and We took it, it to the Strawberry One Act Festival in Manhattan and we won. Oh, great. And, and that, that was hard. It was really hard because it cost a lot of money. It's in New York. I mean, she was already based out of New York, so it was a little easier maybe. But so thrilling to be able to sit on the little cafe afterwards and call our high school drama teacher and go, well, we made it to round three, you know, <laughs> well, we made it to the finals, you know, I mean, yeah. it was, it was just a really thrilling time and sort of the beginning of our collaborative work together. Um, and we performed in that together. I think that was the last time I performed with you, Carolyn. Yeah. Um, oh, goodness. So you're overdue for an acting collaboration, or is is that a part of your past now? <laughs> I think that I'm I'm absolutely fine letting Carolyn take that. I don't need to perform anymore. I I found that when I, I began writing full... Go ahead. Yeah. I'm the one that thinks she's overdue. Mm. I'm always... You think I'm, I'm, overdue? I'm the one who always... No matter what, you know, whenever there's a new piece, I'm like, well, you know, that's you. So, you know, you <laughs> need have to, to be, be the that. right time and we the right place. Yeah. <laughs> but I think I'm more, I think, honestly, I think I'm more valuable as a playwright mm. um, than as an actor, because particularly in the stories that I, that I write, there's a strong concentration of female roles, strong female roles with stage, which we need more of. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, and then I show up in the room and my directing and acting experience is always so useful. I know, yeah. you know, like it's, it doesn't hurt to have worn many hats over the years because everything teaches you something. Absolutely. And one of the things that I was going to mention is that it appears that taking that pathway from acting to writing just solidifies your strength as a, as a writer in such a way that you're just able to feel things. You're, you're going for that kind of, almost transcendent experience that actors want to have, but on the page. And I, I think that, you know, it's not something to intellectualize. It uh, allows you to approach Maybe things. Maybe that diminishes a, it when you do. Yeah. 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 From a more it's humane. Something else. Because it, it becomes less, less conceptual, right? When you're putting a, a piece together and more like you're following a character's intuition rather than the mechanics of something. I mean, that's super important too, but um, do you, yeah. do you feel yeah. like that's kind of the, the way that you it's go a about a great way yes. of phrasing it? Yes. Right. Mm. It, cause there is a tendency. I mean, we can't, we cannot dismiss that there's technique and craft and, and I'm saying that, that broadly, but that, that mm -hmm. there are mechanisms that make it readable, make it, uh, what I mean is readable. Like it doesn't matter how intensely you feel it. If you don't have technique, nobody's going to get the message and the internal feelings that you're feeling. You've got to be able to get that out there. Mm -hmm. And so it is important, you know, to, to keep those in mind. But that, that, that of which you speak is so, that's why theater is such a draw for me in the first place, because I'm able to have those intensely intimate, sort of beautiful moments with other human beings that I can, that I rarely um, have uh, out mm. in the general population. <laughs> um, that's not to say they don't occur, but I do 
feel like that's why I'm in it. And it also is the constant affirmation and a reminder to not to stay in a certain lane, but to remember that that's why a lot of people are here to have those experiences. And so I want to create the conditions so that other people can have those. In other words, write stories that facilitate those kinds of connections and awakenings in other artists as well, rather mm -hmm. than just like, I don't know if you know, I live in the DC area and maybe you don't know or you heard that DC is a very political city. Mm. Um, and <laughs> so, I've, so I've been told. <laughs> so have you been told? Just read a book. Um, but so there's a lot of pressure here to write politically, to write stories that are um, timely. And it's not just here, it's all over everywhere I submit. I, you know, there, mm -hmm. there's this a mindset of like, we want to make sure that what we're putting out there is topical. Unless it's the Christmas play, you know, yeah. and the and the, and the and the big musical. Okay, all right. Well, you know, and I just don't think that way. I have yeah. tried writing political theater and I failed miserably. Um, and what I have found is when I tell the stories of working class aggrieved, and I don't mean grievances. I mean mm -hmm. aggrieved, like people that are ordinary people aching longing for things stuck emotionally fatigued burnt out in life when i write the narrative close to the bone in those areas um it resonates profoundly with artists that do my work yeah and so i want to keep i want to it, it's a sort of like a little ecosystem. I want to keep feeding that, you know, and which is hard because I'm like, you know, uh, right. you know, I, I don't want to be, uh, you know, only this kind of writer. But at the same time, I do think I have a signature style. Mm -hmm. And so it's that balance, right, of right. being able to continue to expound and expand on what you know that you do really well, but at the same time reaching for challenges, you know, so that you can learn some, not, not necessarily so you can take your work to the next level. I mean, that's probably an obvious, but mm -hmm. so that you can learn something new about yourself and your craft and get even deeper with it. Um, this makes me think of two things and, and maybe we'll get to the second one here in a moment. But the first one is this idea that, political theater in in the way that it's being shaped right now um it almost has an expiration date in some ways and i'm curious you know with your collaboration yeah. with carolyn how we can how can we be able to write something that is primarily personal that might lead to the political it's interesting to me that some of my work has been called timely and political and topical even mm -hmm. though i don't think that it's timely and political <laughs> and topical and i think that what happens is Sometimes what feels universal is always has a touch point in the in the now, whether you want it to or not, mm. because there's some things that don't change even as the world changes. There are some tenets and central sort of um, life things that are, are always the same, and maybe they feel a bit more alive or vibrant or vital right at this moment, um, like when you watch a play, you see things in it that maybe were not imbued by the author or, or, or by the artist, but you see a parallel. You see that it feels timely. You know, it wasn't yes. written for this moment and yet it resonates somehow. And it's that deeper resonance, which if you will just continue to push through writing and write your, write your story, but make sure that you're honoring the characters distilling it to its essence and asking really deeper questions of your characters so that the singularity of their experience is 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 more universal mm -hmm. there's nothing less universal than just sort of like vagueness <laughs> people like i don't have to be a mountain climber okay to appreciate a story about a mountain climber, particularly mm. if you take me into his internal world 
show me what he's aching for, right? Beyond just mountain climbing. Who among us remembers the movie The Abyss, right? Mm -hmm. In The Abyss, you know, you have Ed Harris. I'm, I'm getting the names right. I'm, mm -hmm. um, Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio, right? There, there they yeah. have this marriage that's sort of breaking down just as they're about to find this, this, <laughs> yeah, it's right. not, there aren't even words for what they're searching for, but they're right on the cusp of it, right? And their marriage yeah. is falling apart and he throws his ring in the, in the septic toilet and has to fish it out. And his hand is blue for like several scenes because yeah. he's like, let me put my <laughs> ring back on for God's sake. You know, yeah. so he's got this blue hand with this ring and the symbolism of a wedding ring, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and, and, and so, yes, I can appreciate Cameron's like, and by the way, I, I just watched a documentary on that film and it was like hell to make hell, oh, yeah, absolute yeah. hell for everyone involved. One of my favorites. Love that movie. Yeah just transcendent in so many ways like we got to watch it from the outside we didn't actually have to be there um in person to to to, to go through the savages of that those production um, yeah. um demands but so we i i i am not a deep sea diver i'm not a scientist like his character was but when it started getting granular in terms of his marriage mm -hmm. okay in terms of the two of them wanting to try to figure out what they had lost and how could they get it back and they're stuck under the ocean right yeah. you know at the bottom of the sea <laughs> you know um yeah. that's when it really touched me right and mm -hmm. so george saunders talks about this um i would urge anybody listening right now not necessarily to pause but as soon as you're done with this podcast go over to youtube and watch a five-minute video called George Saunders on story and he will encapsulate for you everything that I'm trying to say right mm. now which is ask more of your characters ask your characters how can I love you right now what is it I need to do because you're saying things that are erratic you're being a little crazy <laughs> where is all this coming from and when you get to those deeper truths that's when it becomes universal so I guess the long answer, that's the long answer in saying that, <laughs> yes, there's going to be, if, if there are to be politics and lessons of the hour in your plays, I think those come organically in this search for your character's yes. deeper mm. truth. You know, um, I, Carol, in the and living of it, in through, the living of it, just it, it is because you're there. Mm -hmm. you know yeah but the being present where you are in the time that you're you're living it automatically leans you in that direction unwittingly unconscious subconscious however you want to slice it but yeah but it and that meandering happens. yeah it does i she and i are working through a play right now mine called the garment which is a three character three female identifying character play about a long-term artist relationship it's set in an art studio and and I don't know how this happened, but you know, I'm going writing a story about these two characters and they're how did you know how did how did how did their relationship come about? Like how did they become so toxic for each other? Mm. It feels a little bit like who's afraid of Virginia? Like there's some toxicity in this, although I'm trying to find the comedy too. And yeah. somehow along the way that the there's there's something that happens that it hearkens the whole me too movement and i'm like mm. i'm i didn't set out to write a me too play <laughs> and yet here it is right and carol carol is like i don't know this might be too brutal and my agent's like oh i don't know this might be too brutal and i'm like well i don't know but this is where i am with it so what mm. is it yeah. you know am i to to then you know write this play and put it out into the world and then every time someone talks of this play in the same breath they're mentioning mentioning or referencing the political climate the me too mm -hmm. movement yeah and and i know that i can't really i have no control over that mm -hmm. i just have to write what i have to write mm -hmm. and i suppose sometimes the place will just materialize that way they will do what they what they do they they will uh, make they their do way what they out. do yeah and I am glad that you mentioned this current example of you folks working together because I was going to ask Carolyn 
if there was a time in, in previous moments or previous collaborations where dramaturgy was able to help you through that kind of duality of the, of the, the massive, you know, the, the uh, larger social context and, and the personal. Uh, and I think that that's kind of what, what you're sharing. But Carolyn, do you have another moment like that maybe earlier on in your collaboration where you, you were able to make that kind of breakthrough? Yeah, I think uh, that was something that happened when we were working on the Gulf, mm. um, which are, you know, these two women in a boat trapped in the shallows and having a, a, a massive breakdown in a relationship. And it started off in a completely different way and, uh, and, and found its way being incredibly relevant and uh, uh, really politically charged mm -hmm. and finding a, a major different sort of audience than we ever set out to do. I, mm. I you know, we I couldn't we could not have predicted that that play would would get its first Lord production right in the right when Trump came into power. We did not have control really? over that. If it had if it had if it had been produced two years prior, it would not have had the same resonance. But because it happened right at that moment, there were all of these parallels yeah. of of a country divided of think of the, the word the gulf and all of the different mm. meanings of that word mm -hmm. right an impossible divide a chasm a great space between an impossible distance you know and and that is what these two characters were dealing with also on the physical terrain of the open waters of the gulf of mexico mm -hmm. right continue yeah. carolyn but but yeah it, that i remember when it landed at that moment i was like well, I need to, you know, you're, you're watching the news for goodness yeah, sake. Yeah. The reason, the whole reason the story of the Gulf is called the Gulf was because I kept hearing the BP oil spill, in the Gulf of Mexico every day. I kept hearing the Gulf, the Gulf in the Gulf in the Gulf. And I thought, <laughs> what a great name for a play, <laughs> you know, and then fast forward, it's going live right in the middle of the Trump. Well, a marriage Trump, equality, Trump. marriage equality, mm -hmm. marriage yeah. equality and the, and the building of the wall, like, there are some real sort of stealth like jokes that wove in there that, I mean, you know, really landed hard because they're like, you know, what are we watching? Is this a, you know, is, is this our world? Mm -hmm. These two, two women in this relationship that cannot find common ground. They cannot. Mm -hmm. And yet, and, and, and so, so all of that kind of politically charged climate and, and happenings as we're collaborating and expanding what started as a one act, which we also self-produced mm. at the Samuel French, uh, the off-off Broadway uh, uh, kind of contest oh, or yeah, festival. festival. Short yeah. festival. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and so it started off as this little nugget. And then as it expanded into the full length, all of these things were unfolding. That's in our brains. Mm -hmm. We're not setting out to do that. Oh my goodness! It's a you know it's a relationship between two women that happens to be the same kind of relationship between anyone. So now we're now we're universal, but we're in this political climate. Mm -hmm. It it's it's influencing you know affecting who we are anyway. We've got all these notions and thoughts going through our heads. It has to be infused somehow that way. It's yeah. that it's that it's that intangible muse. It's that thing that speaks to you. That's that, you know, that little undercurrent you got, you got this, but your toes are sinking a little deeper into the sand as the wave yeah. rushes out. <laughs> and so you, you know, you can't help, but, but have it in there. And yet when it all boils down to it, it's two humans trying to find each other uh, stuck in a, in a funky situation for that night. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, you know, realizing is this falling apart or is this, are we coming together? You know, how, which way, how is this going to shake out? And, uh, well, and, and, and there you and are. You, and you've just described every story, mm -hmm. right? Like, yeah, to, you know, really to its essence. I, I, I used to look at August, August Osage County as like this huge monumental, like epic. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and I still do. And most people do. And I thought I can never write 
something that big. Mm -hmm. But then I started looking at it and I'm like, wait a minute, this is a collection of two handers. Sometimes there's a, there's sometimes there's a three character and there's the dinner scene, obviously, but mostly (laughs) it's two people in a room together trying to figure out why there's so much static, Mm. you know? Oh man, this is this is sending me in a million different directions, and I just I'm so I'm we, so we hyped do that. right now. We do for that writing. to people. Yeah, yeah. This is the this is such a beautiful thing to have on a Sunday morning is to just be completely revitalized in terms of what you can do with metaphor, what you can do with with going from a, a small idea into something that just blooms into this huge uh, play of possibility. You know, from a small thing to to something completely huge that overwhelms but i wanted to ask you about this this idea of of ritual you folks had this wonderful conversation with um i believe it was um joanne at the uh, women's theater festival and that was a Mm -hmm. really awesome Mm -hmm. conversation because you you folks had a chance to really kind of break things down specifically with uh with alabaster and and other plays that you had worked on together but it resonated for me anyway, this idea of, of theater as, as maybe ritual and maybe a kind of spirituality that you're looking to have in the work, is that something that's far off? Or, or how do you feel about addressing theater as ritual and, and, you know, the communal experience? If you could share a few thoughts on that, both of you. Wow. That feels (laughs) like, yeah. Uh, Let's okay. all pause so and I, have a meditative moment yeah, for a moment yeah, I, before we go into that. So, you, yeah. so you're you're speaking of the idea that, yeah. that theater is like a church, right? That we that we sort of come together and we do we appreciate and all sort of observe and experience this moment together collectively. The group mind, mm-hmm. and and so there's a singular, but then there's also you know each individual has their takeaway, but. But collectively, we sit there together, and that's all part of it. And the live, the live experience, sitting next to another warm body, you know, with your elbows touching, and what does that do to us? Um, yeah. At least that's my takeaway. Is um, I have tried. At first, I didn't know how I was doing it or why I was doing it until I actually talked to someone that explained it to me mm-hmm. to craft stories that in a way that build on that the that that experience Mm -hmm. so instead of like just just writing a straight comedy or writing a straight story if i if i found that if i weave in that first of all if i distill the narrative so that there's rich silence and Mm -hmm. unspoken um questions hanging in the air immediately right out the gate if you do that you have a form of entrancement a form of hypnosis Mm -hmm. and all great storytellers use these devices to pull the listener in to bring them a little closer pastors do it great speakers do it Mm -hmm. presidents have done it speechwriters they know that if they weave in some lyricism, some metaphor, and if they don't close every single loop right at the moment that they open it, like if they leave some things unsaid, mm-hmm. or they open a, a open a loop here and then they come back to it later in the sermon or the speech or the story or the play, the time that it takes that landscape or that real estate that, that we tra- traverse between the moment that that loop was open until the moment the resolve, the resolution, the denouement, whatever you want to call it, comes back around, we are entrenched, we are entranced, we are invested because we know something's coming. We don't know how it's going to resolve, Hmm. but this person has crafted a narrative in such a way that we're kind of on the edge of our seats wanting to know how, 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 how it's going to end up. Mm-hmm. And so I not only do I recognize a spiritual release that I feel when I'm in an audience and I'm watching a well-crafted play, right? Mm-hmm. But I capitalize on that by 
trying to do the best kind of storytelling I can, whittling and just chipping away at it until it's that's spare and to the bone and not a lot of extraneous noise, mm-hmm. right? And silences. I'm not talking full Annie Baker silences, but <laughs> silence is 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 very silence is is its own storyteller. There's so much that happens in the unspoken moments, mm-hmm. right? And so I, I I am for me anyway, um, because I want my stories to sort of it, it, palliatively at least take an injured, wounded listener through a story and hopefully bring them out on the other side with some kind of hope, some kind of answer. Mm-hmm. Um, for mm-hmm. me, I never lose sight of that as a writer, that that is my job. That's my vocation. That is, that is what I'm meant to do is to, to tell stories of hope, no matter how dark the story gets, right? Stories of hope, stories of, of um, transcendence, Healing. stories that have at least this, mm-hmm. a component of joy and abandon and healing. Even in my darkest stories, there's joy. Mm-hmm. Even in my darkest stories, there is a component of um connectedness these two desperate souls right we see we see how they came together we see them at their best even if it's for only 13 seconds we're like oh i see it i see why they love each other i mean they're tearing each other apart Hmm. if you can get to the end of something like august osage county or get to the end of of who does afraid of virginia wolf and at least be able to see why they love each other then the rest of it makes um then the rest of it is is more palatable mm-hmm. because we see and in some ways it's even more tragic because we're like how could two people that love each other so much how could they have gone and drifted so far apart yeah and yeah. that's life that's just life there's a grace in that you know there's 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 grace. listening and silence you know, the 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 silences that that audrey especially and now me because of collaboration hold so near and dear is that there's there's in in the silence there is listening and in listening there's internalizing and internalizing there's grace Mm. so even if you're in the middle of the deepest like you were like she was saying the the darkest moments or you know right at the nitty-gritty of some hatred or some but you're working through these you know there's always a working through uh, yeah. even where there seems, you know, all is lost, but there's always a working through and that gets to that chewy little nougat little center part, <laughs> which is we're all sitting out here. There used to be, I'm going to, I'm going to tangent for a second, but there used to be a, a dear mentor of mine, Carl Stewart, tiny theater in Birmingham, Alabama, terrific new theater. And, uh, he created this theater and he used to even organize where he, he would put people if it was a small group, if it was a small crowd that night, he put them all close together. He wouldn't let them sit far apart. And that goes back to that group mind that I mentioned before. And he did it because if people are separate in the theater, you know, yeah, true. then maybe they're going to you know, titter or they're not going to. But if you put people close to each other, there's just there just happens to be this little energy ball or energy mm. flow that yeah. can uh, the tiniest titter turns into a bigger laughter, turns into a full on permission, turns into a massive sobbing, turns it, you know, it's yeah. that it's that collective nature that we long yes. for that's live. And, yeah. and, and that energy ball that actors bounce back and forth with each <laughs> other and the director out in the dark. And then now you've got this audience and you've got these words coming out at you and now you have a silence and we're all going, <sighs> you know, and having that moment together. And so, and it, and it, it kind of does that. And so then when you're infusing it as Audrey does into the writing, mm-hmm. well, you're, you're giving humans permission to relate to something that, that they, they might not give themselves permission to relate to, to begin with but also to 
allow everyone to have that breath or have that moment of, yeah, that was some bullshit. What an <laughs> ass they are, you know, or, or, or whatever it is, but you're, you're giving someone permission and by giving them permission to experience it, you're giving them grace. Mm -hmm. Does that make any sense at all? Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And as you're saying that, I'm also remembering like when you're when you're when you're all huddled up like that, you can't help but enjoy watching other people watching. And that's part of yeah. it, too, is watching that guy laugh so hard makes you yeah. laugh. It's it's contagious. Yeah, you there's, know? A, there's a magnetism there that uh, we we long for so terribly. And I, sure. I couldn't have encapsulated everything as well as you folks did in that last moment and you know maybe the the easier answer for me would have been to just go to church <laughs> but you know uh, rather than to put you put you both through that but that is so spot on and it made me wonder if i i was going to ask you why two-handers are are your go-to and, and why you have that preference but you really summarized it so well in that because I believe that maybe the two-hander is just a complete distillation. You know, the artifice is just stripped down and you can see all of those steps that not, not see, but you can feel a lot of that happening, you know, just sort of without the tightrope or without the safety net, I should say, of the tightrope. Mm -hmm. A two-hander requires of you to create all of that roller coaster action intrinsically. Mm -hmm. And so you say, well, Okay, well, is there plot in a two-hander? Yeah, there there is. You may not recognize it so much as as plot. Okay, but but there is, and it requires you to get so incredibly close to this relationship and find the dramatic elements um, there that are tethered and, and sort of inextricably um, linked to their pathos. Um, their their internal worlds and the, their deepest wishes, you know, that the other may or may not know, or they may need to suss out. And so, for me, um, I went a long time thinking I didn't know how to write anything but a two-hander because I've gotten really good at it, and it's what I'm kind of known for. Um, and then I realized, you know, even even six-character plays are really just two-handers. It's really just what are you going to do about this one other person? And yes, there are other people around and there's plot and all that. But really, when you start looking at it and breaking it down, it's even who's afraid of, I don't know why I keep referring to this, but even who's afraid of a finger wolf, <laughs> that's four characters, but it's really a two-hander. Think about it. Like yeah. it's these two characters and they have these, they have these visitors, but it's mm -hmm. really these two characters and how they play off this other couple. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Right. Right. Um, I think anyway. that you know you the, uh, what start the 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 beauty of the two hander that I think you know Audrey's got a, a little bit of the 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 master class in her on that, <laughs> but but um, but also you no matter how many characters there are like right now working on trouble, um, or you know expanding the garment, but um, there's a pressure cooker. Mm -hmm. You know, August, it's a pressure cooker. Virginia Woolf, it's a pressure cooker. So even if you're, even if you're, uh, uh, whether it's a small cast or a larger cast, it's the sort of the, the, the box mm -hmm. that they're in, the trap that they're yes. in, the, the getting out, the, you know, smudging the, the, the bubble trying to pop through or, you, does that make sense? Uh -huh. uh, you know, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah. From, almost from the very moment when you encounter these characters, they're already in a box. They're already in a box together. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, th I, I believe. If yeah. you really want to hit the ground running, especially if you're yeah. doing it in the short form. Right. It, in Alabaster, they're, you know, the they're box, just yeah. throw us in the box with them and let's see what they're doing in there. <laughs> yeah, and exactly. And it's bad and it's ugly. It's so ugly in there. You know, and then the antagonist is like, I know how to open this box. And the protagonist is like, no, you stay away from that flap. I see that flap up there. I've been in this Amazon box many times. I know how to open this box. No, you yeah, don't. Yes, you do. That was something that, that you've always talked about, too, Audrey, is the is speaking of, you know, or stuck. Right. So which mm -hmm. is the, actually the title of a play that Audrey wrote. But um, but 
there's always one there's always a character that's stuck and there's always a character that's saying no wait a minute there's this door this is, let, me, let me show you where the exit is mm -hmm. but the, you know, the interesting thing is that antagonists they, they may be able to see the exit but they haven't walked in those shoes they haven't walked in that person's shoes that sounds so um, basic mm -hmm. but like you're not dealing with what i'm dealing with i i'm dealing with all of these ghosts and and all of these you know i think in maytag virgin um lizzie lizzie says to her friend jack you know the only ghost in that house is you <laughs> and you won't go in there because you're afraid you're afraid you might actually feel something hmm. you know and and that's that's it right there is um you know scott peck talks about in the road less traveled um neurotic suffering versus legitimate suffering well isn't all suffering legitimate okay mm -hmm. sure right but there's the suffering that we feel every day because we cannot break through we cannot do the hard work of walking through that wall of fire to get to the other side what does that take it takes just getting a packing a bag and leaving <laughs> walking out of a dead-end job walking out of a dead-end relationship saying no for the first time in your life right doing something that is just for yourself, right? We, we oftentimes don't give ourselves permission or have the gumption to actually walk through that wall of fire. Mm -hmm. But on the other side of that is grace. On the other side of that is a different form of, su of suffering. It still hurts on know. the other side. It still hurts on the other side, but it hurts in a way that is righteous. Yeah. Because we know we, we fought for it, we earned it, and we're there. So we're going to suffer this way now on our own terms right and that's what i that's what carolyn was getting at oh that's so beautiful and i i can't believe that we're almost at an hour because this has been I know, such I a see. beautiful master class <laughs> of oh my God. writing we always hijack i'm no, just but, but it's we just this is my favorite thing ever i mean i could i could listen to you two talk about the craft for forever forever yeah. it's just been a real privilege uh today but I want to ask you one parting thought here from the two of you about what it takes to foster a collaboration effectively in the theater, as, especially as you're creating these, these stories that are very uh, meaningful and speak of home and are very intimate to you, but also what kinds of things would benefit somebody who's just on the brink of starting that writing journey? I was lucky in that I have had a, a friend from a, a very young age that uh, has always helped my work be better than it has a right to be. People will ask, you know, what's the trick? How did you break in? What, how do you, and I recognize that not everybody has that person in their life. You know, they want to get in the room with collaborators and then, you know, develop those relationships. And it's, it's really hard. I would say, to stop sharing your work only with the yes men. Yeah. Share it with somebody who might not be your best friend. He might even be the person that you trust the most that won't hurt your feelings, but is the person that is going to tell you like it is. And then when they tell you like it is, believe them. You went to them for advice in the first place, right? And I think that Playwrights in particular, all, all writers, but playwrights in particular, need to get over their own feelings because the play does not care about your feelings. It doesn't. So you need to not care about its feelings and you need to not care about your own feelings. The work needs to be more important than your feelings. The health of your play needs to be more important than your own feelings or your fear of getting your feelings hurt. And right. one of the ways to remember that is to say, look, I know we all at times become deeply encoded in our own work. Certainly George Saunders talks about that too. We become so deeply encoded in our own work that we don't know where we begin and where the story ends. And so when someone criticizes our work, it's like they're criticizing us personally. Get over it. Get over that. You have to get over that. And you, and you have to get over the fact that there's anything in your story that is sacrosanct. There can be nothing. You have to walk into, a, whether it's a table read at, at your friend's house where you've got a few people over, or a table read at the Guthrie, 
it doesn't matter. Approach it the same way. You have to walk in there willing to cut every single line in your play. Every single one. And there have been times I've gotten a, a, a feedback and from a director and he's like, we need to cut 10 pages. I was like, great. And I know he thought I was going to push back. I was like, no, I love cuts because cuts means tension. Every time you cut, mm. tension is the gift that you get in return. There's always a gift. There's always a yin yang. Whenever you cut, you'll get something as a gift in return. Okay. And I said, great, cut all 10 pages. Just can we leave this one joke? Like there was a joke. <laughs> you know, it's like, can we leave this one little gag? You know, I just want to see if it'll fly after. And, and if, it, if it doesn't get a laugh, I'll cut that too. But there can be nothing that is sacrosanct. And so if, if you must write your own story and you, and, you, and you feel it has to be a documentary, well, then call it that. It's, it's not, it's, that's a memoir play then, yeah. okay? But because I know there are plays of mine that I, that I consider almost memoir now, although I didn't know them at the, didn't know it at the time. I had to have some perspective mm -hmm. to be able to go, oh, wow, I was really channeling my own self at that time. And I didn't realize how autobiographical, autobiographical that story would end up being, right? Yeah. Yeah. But if you want the story to be the best that it can be, find the smartest person you know that has some kind of way of talking about the work, whether they're a good writer, a good editor, a good storyteller, you know, just really shrewd. Maybe they're really good with comedy. Maybe they make mm -hmm. you laugh. Maybe you aspire to make people laugh the way that person makes you laugh. Go to that person. And again, they may not be your best friend and say, could you read this and just tell me honestly, just tell me honestly what I need to make this play, make this story, this part better than it is. And that just that one step will make yeah. the difference, I think. And I found that true, not just with my playwriting, but with my art, my painting, <laughs> my directing. Yeah, Go I ahead, think Carol. get it, get it out, get it. You know, you got to get it out. Um, I yes, all of that, yes, but but then you know, but but get it out there. So sometimes I think a lot of people are are so timid, waiting for things to be perfect or trying to perfect it before anyone really reads it or really sees it. Mm. Nah, get it out there, share it. Um, that's what we did. We, who who were we? We were two oldies even back in the day when we did that first you know Strawberry One Act. We were older than everybody in the whole darn festival and and coming in with a southern play mm -hmm. in the middle of a new york play festival you know and and it's you know two chicks sitting around smoking on a porch <laughs> you know and and but and we went oh i don't think so here we are and we st you know staked to claim and and you know to won the ball game mm -hmm. so get it out there too get there are there. so Sharon many different ways like this is so exciting to be able to participate with you today this is yeah. also getting it out now we got a new you know we have a new new feedback and new ball toss and <laughs> uh, you know our friend rachel does uh does a, a performance small performances called tiny theater out of her, their closet that started during oh, covid beautiful. right well there there are a million playwrights that have sent stuff to them both produced and non-produced and fledgling writers but they're getting it out mm -hmm. and it's being since seen the, since the startup mentality, the make, fail, make, fail. You know, I, I, I love so much this generation. I love that we have TikTok. I love that we have social media. I love that there are so many creators out there just showing snippets of their work. I started a, um, a Facebook group called art is chaos taking shape. Oh, I love it. And it encourages, <laughs> it encourages people to share their work in its infancy. Oh, man. Right. Um, Get it out because there. every silent masterpiece um, started. Let's see if I can pull it up real quick. Well, I, what I, I, I want to say, yeah, embrace the primitive stage of your art. Love it there because it, it exists where it didn't before. <laughs> Get in bed with the badness, bathe in it. There's nothing so wild and unruly as loving how utterly imperfect it is. Nothing is more alive. So that's beautiful. <laughs> really how I how I feel about it. Yes. And you know, and, and and it's also proof and testament to other people that everybody's work is kind of crappy around the edges at first. You know, and it's exciting right now with with podcasts and with with all of these this it used to be 
uh, you could workshop something, something could go to Broadway or whatever, and it could fail and, and you go back and work on it. Now everything has to be perfect, yes. but, but get it. We've got all these different ways to get it out there now. So that's so, right. So that's an exciting. Thank you both so much for taking the time to do this. This has been such a privilege and I really feel like these have been wonderful insights that you have passed on to folks and, uh, more than anything, I just want to thank you for, for the wonderful work that you do, your beautiful moving plays, and, uh, and for your good cheer, for making it such a pleasurable time. Well, we're oh. grateful for you and for showcasing the work that you do, the artists that you do. I think that I'm just really impressed. Oh, goodness. I'm really impressed. I love listening to you ask the important questions. I love listening to you tell your own story and oh, I, sharing I your own it. humanity and so you're you're doing some really good good stuff here oh that means a lot keep, keep up the good fight <laughs> we'll do what we you're, can you're doing what i was trying you're doing what i was trying to say you know <laughs> you're, you are you you are though and you're allowing uh other artists to to get it out there so that's great I really appreciate this time. Thank you. Oh, that's wonderful to hear. And even though we just scratched the surface, this is the tip of the iceberg. This has been a masterclass of playwriting and collaboration. But if you ever want to air your grievances or you want to share something else with the world, please let me know. And I'd be happy to keep chatting because this has been such a such a blast. Yeah, right. maybe we'll have to get together again and, and talk about trouble. That's as, right. As trouble, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'd be happy to. So you folks let me know and I will be on standby for you because this has been amazing. Thank you so much. Thank right. you so Thanks. Much really appreciate it. Yes, okay. you too. Enjoy Talk your to you. Sunday. Bye. Uh, yeah, right, right. We, uh, bye. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Back to life. That's, That's right. right. Okay. <laughs> bye, guys. Bye.